Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all of you who have joined us together this morning in church for worship of our trying God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here and also to those who have joined us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcement. As of next week, the collections will return to passing through the pews and this morning's service will be led by Reverend Tahart from our sister church in Melville. And before we commence, let us sing together Psalm 122, verse 1. Sisters, please rise and let us begin our worship together. Let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord. And we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. And receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue to stand as we're going to sing together once again. We'll sing now from Psalm 111, stanza 1.
As is our practice every Sunday morning, we'll once again uh, listen to God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, as the Lord had given them to his people Israel uh, as they were leaving Egypt and entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan. The reason why the Lord gave them these laws at that time was because he had already redeemed them. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and he was bringing them to the promised land where he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so this then was how they were to live before him. Now God's law is uh, still applicable for us today, uh, even though we now live in the time of the New Testament. And it's applicable because God has now rescued us not from slavery out of Egypt, but he's rescued us from the slavery of sin. And so this then is also now God's uh, covenant word to us, where he says, I'm your God, you are my child, and now this is how you are to live in covenant with me. It's how God had intended from the beginning, and it's also how it is still today. Now, as I read God's law to you, uh, I trust that uh, this will also convict your hearts as it will convict mine, because it reminds us and it teaches us that we have not and we do not keep God's law perfectly as God requires of us. And so through this also, we recognize that it's not as though we can somehow uh, either make our way into God's presence, first of all, by... Uh, obeying this law, nor can we stay in his presence by keeping this law. But instead what it does is it drives us back to Jesus Christ, the one who came, the only one who could perfectly keep this law, so that in and through Jesus we may receive the forgiveness of our sins. And then, being forgiven in Christ, we pray for God's grace and for his Holy Spirit, and that we may live more and more in holiness before him. Let me now read the Ten Commandments. This is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, where God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here are the Ten Commandments. First, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far, the reading from God's holy law, let us respond to this and we'll sing from Psalm 16, stanzas 1 and 5.
Well, let's pray to the Lord and ask for his blessing over this service. Father in heaven, we do rejoice with our heart, with our soul, with our whole being. Because you do not leave us down in dark Sheol. You do not leave us in the grave. You do not leave us separated from you and from the light of your presence. But when we come to you uh, seeking our forgiveness and our well-being in your son, Jesus Christ, you do give to us the, the assurance of pardon. You give to us the assurance of the complete forgiveness of all our sins. You give us the assurance also that not only are we forgiven, but we are received by your grace into your presence. And where you indeed declare to us that you are our Father, you are our God, we are your children. And there could be nothing better, nothing more glorious, nothing more wonderful for us to, to know. Indeed, if it was not for the fact that you yourself have not only uh, told us these things in your word, but you have underlined them for us individually, both in our baptism and when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, we could never have believed this to be possible. Because indeed, how wonderful and how incredible this gospel of grace really is. But we do thank you that even as we come to you, we may also be assured that we are received into your presence. And Father, what a blessing it is that we can do so uh, today here in Southern River as, as your people and also those of us who are visiting here as well. And so that together we may indeed call upon your holy name and together we may also experience that blessing of being a part of your body, the communion of saints here in this place. Lord, there's much to be thankful for, much to, to give you praise for in our congregation. And we do thank you for that. We thank you so much that as a church that we can keep on coming together. And indeed, we can do so uh, fully and freely again now. We thank you, Lord, for the, first of all, for the, the blessing of being called, yes, even commanded, to worship you each Sunday again this morning and again this afternoon. We thank you, Lord, for the, uh, for the blessing that we have there and that uh, here too uh, we may experience uh, your grace and, and your blessing and also the instruction from your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the preaching which goes on every Sunday here in this church. We particularly then thank you for the blessing we receive in our pastor, Reverend Poppy. And Father in heaven, we pray that you strengthen and bless him in his task. First of all, that he himself may seek you and be godly and also then grow in the, 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 the knowledge and the truth of your holy word. And then that he, taking care of himself in that way, may also witness to us and proclaim your word to us. First of all, here on this pulpit, and also uh, when we meet one-to-one. -one. Bless too the catechism instruction that is uh, being done here in uh, Southern River Church. Bless the youth as they are instructed. Bless all those who are also new to the faith, as they also grow in the knowledge of you. Father in heaven, uh, we uh, do also pray for your blessing upon the office bearers here in the Southern River. We pray that you'll bless and strengthen our elders and our deacons in their task. 
that they may do the work with joy. Lord, we also thank you that so many of their their meetings and their home visits and so forth can be joyous and, and as instructive for them as they are instructive to others. Lord, we also know that not all is well. And we do bring before you also those who uh, are drifting away from you or from your church here, or choosing not to attend and choosing not to engage. Lord, we pray that uh, you also grant that there may be change in their hearts. And we also pray that you grant wisdom and perseverance, not only from our office bearers, but from all of us as we reach out to them and call them back. Father in heaven, we also thank you that we can be part of a, of a wider body of churches here in Australia. We also thank you for the uh, visible uh, demonstrations of that unity and also the way that we can combine and work together for many things for, for your kingdom and, and for, your, for your glory and also for the benefit of your church. We do pray for your blessing upon our sister churches and Lord we uh, remember also this morning uh, those who do not have a pastor and now called one. Father, we do pray for your, your blessing upon the calls which have been extended by uh, the Church of Darling Downs of Lagana and also of Albany. And Father, we pray that you also grant uh, that these churches too may receive a, a pastor, a teacher in, in due time. And so we do pray for your ongoing blessing too upon the, the training for the ministry. And we also thank you that uh, this training continues. And we also do see uh, people, and also from our churches, uh, not only study there, but also uh, graduate from there and also be ready then for the ministry. And so we also pray for your blessing upon those who uh, have become eligible for call also over the past few months and strengthen them also as they uh, must consider the, the calls extended to them. Father in heaven, we do also thank you that now we can look forward to opening your word, to have it read and then also preached. We pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. And we ask, our Heavenly Father, that we may also be blessed as we hear it proclaimed. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name. And we pray these things indeed in his name. Amen. I'd like to read with you from the Gospel according to John, John chapter 17. <clears throat> John 17 is uh, known as the high priestly prayer. It's the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ that he prayed uh, just before he uh, went on to the Garden of Gethsemane and then when he also uh, died on the cross. It's a beautiful prayer. There's, there's much in this prayer. Actually, I... I ended up preaching five times over this prayer in my own church in, in Melville. Uh, today I'd really like to focus on his prayer for, for unity. Um, this particular aspect of uh, John chapter 17 is, is one which I uh, take particular delight in. Uh, first of all because of the, the joy of the unity that we may have in the faith. Uh, also the unity with, with others, with other churches also. It's also something which is, is somewhat relevant, first of all, for myself. I'm a deputy and also convener for our uh, interchurch relationships with those overseas. And, and these particular matters with respect to unity and, and how this is expressed and how it should be expressed moving forward 
are matters that we are also being, being charged to consider. Well, let's read together from John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the, whole, for the world, but for those whom you have given me, that they are, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may be one, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me, where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, Father, reading from God's Word, let's sing together from a book of praise from Hymn 52, The Church's One Foundation. Hymn 52, verse 1, 2, and 3.
Well, as I preach to you from John chapter 17 this morning, I'd like to focus in particular on verse 20 through to 23. John 17, verse 20, our Lord Jesus Christ is now praying. And prior to this, he'd prayed, first of all, uh, for himself. Uh, He prayed also for the disciples. And now verse 20, I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you love me. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it may seem somewhat ironical, but discussions around church unity have more often than not led to disunity and to less harmony rather than a genuine coming together. Excuse me. It's somewhat ironical that the desire to unite has often led to a divide. Why is that? What makes it so hard for people to get along? What makes it so hard for churches to get along? What's up with the world and what's up with us that Christ's prayer for the unity of his church seems so hard, almost impossible on this side of eternity. <clears throat> well, it's not for lack of trying. Both the church and in the world, the desire to gather together, to unite, to be in harmony, this is a really strong desire. But what is unity anyway? What does it look like? And why does it matter? Well, as we turn to John chapter 17 this morning, we'll see that it's not just us And not just the church, it's not just the world that longs for unity. But this is also the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. But in this prayer for unity, the Lord also teaches us how that unity will be achieved. John 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. And so there is an answer to the disunity that we see in both the world and in the church. And the answer to the disunity that we see 
is Jesus Christ himself. Perfect unity is to be found in Christ. And that perfect unity then will also, also proclaim Jesus Christ. And so turning to John chapter 17 with this focus then on verse 20 to 23. I preach God's word to you under this theme. The answer to Christ's prayer for our unity is Christ himself. The answer to Christ's prayer for our unity is Christ himself. Two points then. First, the perfect unity that's found in Christ. And second, the perfect unity that proclaims Christ. First of all then, the perfect unity that is found in Christ. Well, we sang together from uh, hymn 52 in our book of praise just now, The Church's One Foundation. And this hymn gives a very sobering perspective on the church here on earth today. Verse 3, we sang already, Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, and by heresies distressed. And then verse 4, which we'll sing later on, Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war. Now when you, when you sing these things, you recognize that this is a very sobering perspective on Christ's church. On us. But we realize it's also true. For all the desire to be united and to be one, it seems as though the church is less united and more fragmented today than ever before. Even when it comes to reformed and Presbyterian churches in the world, we're running out of names. We're running out of letters of the alphabet to try to keep them all separate. It's not as though we've, we've forgotten Christ's prayer for unity, but it seems as though we just cannot seem to make it happen. But why is that? What's wrong? And what can we do about it? Well, when it comes to church unity, also formalized church unity, John chapter 17 verse 21 will almost always be referred to, where Christ prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And it is for good reason that this text is referred to, because there is no clearer prayer for unity than the Lord's own request that we may all be one. What is often missing, however in that whole discussion, is the context in which Christ prays for unity. And what is also underemphasized is that although formal unity with other churches is necessary, the unity that Jesus Christ is praying for, it does not start there. But actually the unity that Christ is praying for, it starts here. It starts here in the local church community. Unity starts with us, with this church in Southern River, the church of which you are a member, you are a part. Indeed, unity starts with every local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only when we are united in the things that should unite us that we are going to be ready to seek out others and be united with them. And so what then does John chapter 17 teach us about church unity? Well, Jesus prays in verse 20, he prays, I do not ask for these only, that is for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
Now, first of all, I'd like you to notice something which is not here. Jesus does not use the word church here. Nor is he praying for an organization as such. What Jesus is praying for here is people. For specific people who are going to believe in him on account of the word that the disciples were going to preach. And what that means is that Christ is praying for the unity of those who are in fact united by faith in the gospel of truth. And this is an important thing, this is an important point to understand. Because this is where we need to start when it comes to unity and being one. John 17 verse 3, Lord Jesus had said this, he said, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what Jesus had preached to his disciples. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And Jesus had also prayed in verse 17, Sanctify, make them holy, set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now when we, when we take these different verses together, and then we learn that the unity that Christ is praying for is the unity in the gospel. It's the unity in the truth. It's the gospel, it is the true gospel that unites us into one. And so that needs to be our focus. That needs to be our focus for us here in Southern River. What unites us together, what binds us together, is the truth of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now that may sound very simplistic, but it is simplistic. It is simple. This is what unites us. Because this is what the Bible teaches us. In all of the rest of the New Testament, this is what you see. Acts 2, for an example. Acts 2, which we have the, the day of Pentecost. The day in which the, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people, upon the disciples. And the people come to, to Peter after he's been preaching to them the gospel. And they said, well, what shall we do? And he says to them in Acts 2, he says, well, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. Thousands are baptized in that very day. But then what do we read of that church in Jerusalem? Acts 2 verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. So the church that was formed on the day of Pentecost, it was united together. What united together? Their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And as a result, they were devoted to learning about Jesus Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching concerning Jesus. In the same way, uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians, so in the church of Ephesus, the apostle Paul, he writes concerning this church in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 19 to 21. He says here, because he speaks in verse 18, through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Then chapter 2, verse 19. So then he says, you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. All right, so what does this say in verse 19? You once, you were no people, you were strangers, you were aliens, but now you're part of a family, part of the household of God. How come? Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church is one. They were united as members of one household. The church was united as members of one household built on the foundation of the apostolic teaching. And we learn the, the Ephesians, they heard the word preached by the apostles. They believed this preaching concerning Christ and therefore they became the one people of God. You see, this is why the theme for this, this morning's sermon is the answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. <clears throat> it is in Jesus that we are united, not just to him, although to that first of all, but we are also united to one another. Excuse me. That's what so many attempts at unity seem to have forgotten. The ecumenical movement, the push to get all churches together into organizations such as the World Council of Churches, they've tried to unite churches on the basis other than the truth of the gospel. Doctrine divides, they said, service unites. It's a catch cry of the past generation. But we've learned that this is not true. It is not doctrine in and of itself. Doctrine means teaching. So it's not the teaching from the scriptures and doctrine that divides, since it is not the truth that divides, but the lie. Indeed, to be in union with those who neither believe nor confess the truth of the gospel, this is no unity at all. It is division because it separates you from your union with Christ. So with whom then do we have union? And with whom are we united? Well, one of our confessions of faith, the Belgian Confession, it's got it right in Article 27 where it says, and I'll quote that from there, we believe and we profess one Catholic or universal church. You see, that's not Roman Catholic. This is universal church which is a holy congregation and assembly of true Christian believers who, 
expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, are washed in His blood, and are sanctified and sealed in the Holy Spirit. And if this is not the basis for your unity, then you are not one in accordance with the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, of John 17. You see, you cannot sacrifice and you cannot set aside the truth for the sake of unity because the unity Christ is praying for is indeed a unity in the truth. Now, this is not to say, of course, that that we need to agree with everything if we are to enjoy the unity that Christ prays for. On this side of eternity, we do not see all things clearly. There is always going to be blind spots in our understanding of God's word. Now, we need to be humble about this means also we need to be ready to be taught by others who can point to our blind spots. But that's what our unity with others is meant to do. Our union with other believers who, like us, are committed to an unwavering faith in Christ and to the teachings of the prophets and the apostles, our unity with them is that so we might, we might grow together in Christ and so that our union with Christ might deepen. So what this teaches us is that unity does not begin with organizations. It doesn't start there. But our organizations also, us being organized into the Free Reform Church of Southern River, this comes out of the unity that is founded on our union with God through Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 21 Jesus prayed that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. And the second part of verse 22. That they may be one even as we are one. And verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What Jesus is praying for here is that our unity together might be of the same character as the unity of the Father and the Son. This then is not just a unity in what we are doing, but this is a unity in our very being. But more, our unity together is also the result of our unity between the Father and the Son. It was the Father who gave us the elect to His Son. It was the Son who glorified the Father by accomplishing the work He'd given Him to do. And now as he's about to return to the Father, the Son prays to the Father. Uh, John 17 verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Well, Jesus He's also saying here is that the way for us to be one, just as the Father and the Son are one, is by the Father keeping us in his name. It's when we are united to the Father through the work of the Son and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's in this way that we would be one with one another. What Jesus is praying for, therefore, is the unity that is ours in Christ Jesus himself. The answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Christ himself. 
This then should influence the way that we express our unity and the way we experience our unity with others. We need to be careful that we don't see church unity first and foremost in terms of organizations. We should not think as though our unity with other Christians is, is limited to and, and ends with our fellow brothers and sisters here in Southern River Church or even with those who are of our sister churches here in the Free Reformed Churches of Australia or elsewhere. Now, I do not mean to dismiss both the need and the blessing that we have in our former sister church relationships. Indeed, I am convinced of not only the importance but also the blessing of these relationships. Such relationships are of great benefit. They are a visible manifestation of the unity that John 17 speaks about. The very fact that I'm here on your pulpit this morning is a demonstration of this unity that we have together. But the union that we have is first and foremost a union that we have in Jesus Christ. But that also means that, that all real unity is and can only be a unity in the gospel of salvation in Christ. And that means that just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't automatically make you one with them. What does make you one with them, however, is whether or not you both know and confess the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. What makes you one is a mutual embracing of the truth of God's word and that you are both committed to that truth. And that brings us to our second point, the perfect unity that proclaims Christ. <clears throat> While Christian unity should, in theory, be the most natural thing in the world and easy to establish and easy to maintain in practice, it's not so easy. At times, the expression of our unity seems fraught with danger. Our differences over how to maintain the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, it does, it can and it does, lead to its own conflict and its own disunity. And yet the Lord prays for this. He prays for this unity. And through this prayer, the Lord highlights the importance of such unity. But we need to remember where it all starts. It's our union with Christ that enables us to have union with one another. But Jesus also prays something else. Verse 22, John 17. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. The glory you've given me, I've given to them. What does that mean? What is the glory that the Father first gave to the Son and that the Son has now given to us that we might be one, even as the Father and the Son are one? This is not easy to understand. But it's probably best to understand this, as to understand the glory that the Father gave the Son. It refers to the manifestation of his name, of the Father's name. Jesus, of course, he shared in the glory of the Father before the creation of the world. Uh, he already said that in John 17, verse 5. But what the Father had done in sending his Son to the earth was that he had sent 
the Son to reveal His glory. And this is how Jesus began this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so now what Jesus is doing was that he's given, given the work the Father had given to him. That is, that work to manifest or make known God's name. He is now giving that work to others. In this way, the church today shares in the ministry. And therefore, the church shares in the glory of Christ. And I'd like you to think about this. Also, when it comes to our own reaching out to those who are without hope and without the gospel. In our own communities, in our own city, and also the work which we're doing overseas in PNG. And also other places. The fact that we are privileged to do this, yes, we are called to do this is of such a blessing that the Lord Jesus speaks about us sharing in his glory. We've been taken up into him. Another Bible verse, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23, the Apostle Paul says something similar when he speaks about the church as being the fullness of him, the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. And now as the Father has sent the Son into the world, the Son is sending us into the world. And so what I want you to understand then too is, this is the consequence of our unity, of our being one in, in Christ. The consequence of our unity is that the world will get to know Christ. Because our unity is a unity in the Son. And it's founded and glory, grounded on the truth that is in Christ Jesus himself. It is the gospel. It is the full gospel of salvation. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ that unites us both to God and to one another. And when we are united in this way, then we will declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Then we'll declare the praise of him who turned us, who once were not a people, into the people of God. And then we're going to start seeking out one another. And then we're going to find one another. We're going to delight in being in the presence of other Christians, just like we are this morning. That's why we're here as well. We're going to delight in meeting other believers who truly hold to the full gospel of salvation as revealed to us by the prophets and the apostles. And then as Christians, we will at times, we will meet others with whom we're one in Christ and we're going to pray for them and we're going to support them. And then as churches, we will at times, we will we'll have reason to, to connect with other churches, to establish a relationship with them, even formalizing that relationship with one another. And then we will cooperate with one another, particularly in matters where we cannot do things on our own. And in that way, our unity will be seen. And in that way, our unity will bear fruit. But for us here in Southern River, it doesn't start there. For us, it starts here 
in this household of faith. It starts, first of all, in the shared conviction that we are and must be a holy congregation, an assembly of true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ and are washed by his blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That was that Article 27 of the Belgian Confession. And if I go on then to Article 28 of the Belgian Confession... It flows on from here to the conviction that since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there's no salvation out of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, but all and everyone are obliged to join and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline and bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. You see, this is where it all starts. We can get all excited about uniting, the need to unite with others and to meet others in different places. It could be here in Australia, other parts of the world. It's good to be excited about this. And such unity is also what's expected of us. But that's not where it starts. Where it starts is here in Southern River Church with our own brothers and sisters. Where it starts is growing together in the gospel here in a community that is in your home and that is in your family. Where it starts is in believing the word of truth, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ and then living out of that gospel So that not only we, but also others might embrace that gospel promise with us. Well, is that so hard to do? Is it really so difficult? I began this sermon by acknowledging that discussions around church unity have more often than not, it seems, led to disunity and less harmony than a genuine coming together. Indeed, the desire to unite has so often led to a divide. But why is that? Is this a failure of Christ? Is this a failure of the gospel? No. These things happen when we take our eyes off Jesus Christ. When we take our eyes off the gospel, when we focus our priorities, our attentions, And our desires somewhere else. These things happen when we forget who we are and what we are here for. I do not mean to dismiss the challenges and the complexities of living together in communion with Christ here in Southern River and with God's people everywhere. I do not mean to dismiss the challenges and complexities of forming contacts and relationships when we come from different backgrounds, we have different cultures, we have different histories. But the answer is clear. The answer to Christ's prayer for unity is Christ himself. And therefore seek him and seek to proclaim him. And then you too will find what it means to be one just as the Father and the Son are one. Amen. Well, let's respond to that and sing together from Psalm 133, stanzas 1 and 2.
as we gather together for prayer and praying also for the, the needs of congregation, I'll uh, be praying with you for a few things which are mentioned in our uh, congregational news for today. In addition to this, we'll also pray for uh, our brother and sister Jake and Liz Vanderlinder and also for the wider Vanderlinder family. Um, brother Jake's mother passed away quite suddenly uh, this, in this past week and she was 91 years old. I, I understand she, she had a fall and also a suspected stroke. Uh, the intention was for Jake and Liz to travel to, to Canada as it was and uh, we'll pray for them as they do uh, intend to go there. Let's pray to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we pray that for ourselves personally and for Southern River Church and for the churches of which we may have unity, that we may all keep our eyes fixed firmly on the gospel of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we may indeed have that one true faith in you, O God, our Father, and in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Lord, we echo that prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ to sanctify us, that you might sanctify us, set us apart in the truth, the truth of the gospel. Yes, your word is truth. And we pray then for the unity that is ours here in Southern River. We thank you for the expression of that. We pray, Lord, that we may continue to seek to be one. And that we might lift up our eyes and away from sometimes petty differences and fix them on Christ. And that we may also, when these differences or when those discussions or even divisions are sharper, that we might even then still continue to really cause one another to be focused on Christ and on our unity in him. And Father, we also then pray the same uh, for our wider contacts and for our sister churches also. We also pray then for your blessing upon the relationships we have with churches throughout the world. That we may be sanctifying the truth and point one another to Christ more and more as well. Father in heaven, we also pray for this household of faith here in Southern River. We ask, Lord, that you'll grant your blessing upon our members here. We ask that you'll strengthen them. We thank you also, Lord, for, for health and, and, and strength and also safety. We thank you also this past week you've protected our brothers Andre and, and Scott Muhlenberg who were in a car accident. We thank you, Lord, that you have protected their lives. But, Lord, there are times in which there are accidents and things happen, when through them you also call one of your children to yourself. You've done that with respect to the mother of our brother Jake Vanderlinde. Father, it's a shock and it's so sad that it happened at this time. And at the same time, we know that this was indeed your providence and also there it is not as though the life of our sister was cut short no not just because she was in her 90s 
but because before there were any days of her life, you had already in your book marked them. And we thank you for the comfort that we may have with the Vanderlinda family, that our sister is with you. And so we also pray that you'll strengthen our brother and sister, Jake and Liz, as they travel to Canada. And we pray, Lord, that you'll also strengthen and bless them there. Father, we also thank you for the gift of marriage. We rejoice with Del and Julia Rupka, who could be married this past week. Lord, we, we thank you for this, and we pray that you also bless them in this, this life that they have, to have together. And that they may, in that sense, also reflect Christ and his church, as was prayed for and spoken about on, on Friday. Father, we pray that you will indeed bless them, and that they also may, may continue to rejoice and, and be a part of the community here. Bless others also who are preparing for marriage. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you also bless them not only in their preparations for that day, but in their preparations to be, to be married together as husband and wife, where they may truly uh, reflect that which you call the husband and wife to be as they're married in the Lord. We also thank you, Lord, for the blessings of anniversaries and wedding anniversaries also celebrated here. We also give you thanks for uh, Reverend and Sister De Jong, who are with us at the moment here in Western Australia, could celebrate their 15th wedding anniversary. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings which you have given to them in, the, in their marriage and also the children you have given to them. We thank you too, Lord, for the blessings you have uh, given to your church and also for the ministry in Papua New Guinea now. Continue to bless them, we pray, in their time here. And Father, we also thank you for birthday for Reverend David Paul, who could have his birthday this past week. Continue to bless him and his family in PNG. Father in heaven, as we bring these things before you, we also uh, do pray that you'll grant uh, that we may pray in these things knowing that not only do you hear and delight to hear our prayers, but that you also promise to answer them. And so it is not as though we're just simply praying without any expectation, but we do know and expect and confess that you will indeed hear our prayers for the sake of Christ, your Son. We pray for your continued blessing upon us uh, in this day, and also as we may look forward to being in the church again this afternoon. Blessed too, we pray the thank offerings that we seek to give today. We thank you that we may also give a support in such a meaningful way to our sister churches in South Africa. And Lord, we do pray that you, they too may be blessed by the abundance that you give to us. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> this would normally be the time in our service that we have our thank offerings. The collection, as was mentioned, will be collected at the back of the church following the service, and that is for the South African churches. That brings us to our final hymn for this service, and that is hymn 52, stanzas 4 and 5. Let's sing that standing.
Let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord's receive his blessing and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.